Father, just would pray, God, that your your mercy would extend greatly to us. Just thank you for the time that the youth had uh, this past week up in Minnesota. I think they truly understood how what Jesus said, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And uh, even my daughter, just comparing a, a time of giving, a whole week of giving of themselves uh, to uh, a week of, um, of youth camp, she said this past week was better. And it's really because when we're in a position we can give, God, that's, that's the heart. Um, God, that's what you use to stir us. And so I just would pray just for those children. Um, Father, would pray, God, that you might just open their ears and their hearts and their eyes, God, to the realities of Christ. Um, Father, would pray for Tom and Becky as they've been there for so long. And really it's a generational ministry where uh, they don't uh, trust white people. Um, and yet, here it is, this second generation, the children of the children, which Tom and Becky administered to, are not hearing constantly, don't trust white people, but at least are open to hearing what they, what they say. I would pray they know the love of God, God is so lacking in their homes. I would pray you would, would bless that that time. Um, Father, so I, I pray even today for Bonnie and Don. just would pray you'd strengthen Bonnie, uh, just uh, as she talked to me last week, just how she feels... Um, awkward and uncomfortable just serving her husband of so many years as he uh, just continues to slide down. We would pray that you'd strengthen them for sweet days, um, God, in these times. Pray for us, the church, to know how to minister to them and help them. And uh, just even as we see one who's in the old age, also pray for Ashley and for Kirsten, um, God, who are uh, potentially going to give birth here this week, next week, or um, soon, fathers would pray that your your kindness just upon them, upon their families, to enjoy this experience. God, that you would, by your grace, give um, uh, give safe births. God, to give happy births. God, I love the births of children. I love visiting people in hospitals because it's always happy um, when it goes well. But when it goes bad, it's it's very sad. But would pray, oh God, you would. Fill our homes with joy and fill this church with joy, with uh, just uh, safe births, we would pray. I just would pray you'd sustain Kirsten and Ashley. It's, uh, it's difficult being nine months pregnant. pray you'd help them amidst all they have to do, especially Ashley as she is uh, trying to finish summer school. Uh, God, help her, give her strength, we pray. And, and even for us, oh Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes, God, to the realities of the truth of your word, that we would take it and be doers of your word, not merely hearers only who delude themselves. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before I get into my message this morning, just want to talk about um, five months ago. Uh, at our annual meeting, we presented two men for candidate for the office of elder. That's uh, Brian Mulder and Ryan Brown. You guys can raise your hands in case there are people who are new. And uh, at that time, I said, Darren and I would like to hear from you with feedback uh, just uh, about them and their character. I said, Titus 1 would be a a good passage in which to guide your thoughts on that. When Paul said to Titus, "It's why I left you in Crete, so that you might put, uh, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain." but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. I encourage you at that time to look at their life, their ministry, their marriage, their kids, their handling of, of Scripture, uh, and then talk to us. Talk to me, talk to Darren, and talk to them. And I said, if you have a concern about them or their ministry, just talk with them. We'll work things through. Well, we've had some concerns, as many of you know, and those concerns are mostly focused on me rather than upon them, but I think we've worked through those. And um, I think I've been patient in the process, giving ample time for us as a body to really think through this process. We've been five months, and uh, that's okay. We want to do things right rather than push forward. But this morning's time for us to reset. And I just want to remind you again, there's still candidates, um, still seeking feedback, just according to the scripture and guidelines there for qualifications for elders. But I'm just kind of announcing this, that at some point we're going to make a final announcement and then we'll go and proceed with installing these men as official elders of Rock Valley Bible Church. And uh, I look forward to that day. You guys will be installed. Look forward. I already know what I'm going to say uh, in many ways. So just just that is a process is going. We're kind of ramping that up again um, just because I think it's time. And I think we've dealt with uh, issues and concerns that were, were there. So we're going to transition out of Romans 12. And I want to uh, just talk to you about... Oh, Uh, here we go. <laughs> I forgot my slides. Okay, this is going to be a rough transition because I'm going to talk football a little bit. I know some of you guys aren't are really into that, but that's okay. But the last 10 years of the National Football League, there's been no team that's experienced more success than the New England Patriots. In fact, in the last decade, consider this, that they have won 79% of their games. That's amazing. In a, you guys know who second place is? Vikings, not the Vikings. Thatcher, who do you think it is? It's your Packers at second place. Any guess on the other three teams? Top five. Kind of, you can just throw it out there and use whatever. Someone says Steelers. Yeah, good. We got Steelers, Colts, and Broncos. All right, where's where's my favorite team? All right, let's talk there though about first and second place. That is amazing. Thirteen percentage points over a decade. You know, I mean, there's like 66, 64, 63, 59. I mean, those are all, all close. And then just one goes way high. Now, I know that some of you might hear the Patriots and might think of cheating. But I'm telling you, deflating footballs doesn't account for 13% of a difference over a decade. Now, I'm not particularly a Patriots fan. Uh, but they have excellent players, excellent coaching, excellent management. And, and I bring them up because of one phrase that's synonymous with the New England Patriots. And here's the phrase, do your job. When a documentary was done about uh, the 2014 Patriots, I think that this is what it was entitled, do your job. It's the mantra that goes around the Patriots organization, do your job. Listen to Michael Hurley's words of CBS Boston. He said this, it is a, it is a saying that has become as synonymous with the Patriot as Foxborough and Kraft. And it's one that was born on the sidelines. The brilliant coach, the master of football, the one who understands the game on a level few others ever have. 
down on one knee, imploring his defense to focus on one thing and one thing only. Do your job. Simple enough, right? After all, Bill Belichick has always uttered these words to his players after things have gone haywire when players are trying to do too much and end up getting overwhelmed by the moment. Belichick gathers them on the sideline and calmly, or sometimes not so calmly, reminds them simply to do your job. For a cornerback, that might mean zeroing in on one-to-one coverage. For a nose tackle, it might mean occupying two blockers and refusing to budge from a spot. For a linebacker, it could be keying in on a running back or waiting long enough before blitzing through the gap. But rather than worrying about what the other 10 players on the field are doing, Belichick regularly reminds his players that they need only to worry about themselves. Do your job. If you Google search this, this is what you get. You type in, do your job. Patriots, Belichick. I mean, this, this is what the organization is about. It's about the Patriots. It's about the coach. It's about the culture of the team. And I love this picture of the, one of the players right there on the, the stocking cap. Do your job. In fact, if you want to buy some merch, you can buy some merch. You can buy a do your job t-shirt and a, a do your job cap and a do your job hoodie and a do your job mugs. You can do all of that. And the phrase worked so well for New England that New England's former defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, who's playing head coach of the, the Lions now, has pulled the phrase over into Detroit, posting their facility, do your job. And I suspect that Patricia will do it as mentors taught him. He just bang that message. Do your job. Do your job. Matt Castle, who used to play for the Patriots, now plays for the Lions. He said this, It always comes down to being accountable to your teammates. So many times you get caught up in everything else that's going on, this, that, and the other thing, and it takes you and distracts you away from doing your job. The best part of this type of program, just focus on do your best, do your job, is the best guys are going to play. If you do your job, do it right, you're going to be on the field. They've shown it time and time again. They don't care if you're a free agent. They don't care if you're a fifth-round draft pick or first-round draft pick. If you're going to go out and do your job and make us better, you will play. It's all about winning, he says. And what works on the football field works in many other team spheres. Uh, James Kerr, a global business consultant for nearly 30 years, said this. He says, regardless of what you think of Bill Belichick, his do-your-job philosophy is worth learning more about because of what it can offer leaders who are trying to establish winning culture. Roughly, do your job means being prepared, working hard, paying attention to the details, and putting the team first. There must be something to it. Since Belichick took over the Patriots, his team has enjoyed 17 straight winning seasons. Phenomenal. 15 playoff appearances, 8 AFC championships, 5 Super Bowl titles. It's pretty special, particularly in an era when free agency can wreak havoc on winning franchises. The coach's do-your-job philosophy may just be the difference maker. Elegant in its simplicity, do-your-job translates well for us as business leaders and entrepreneurs. When reinforced, the message strengthens trust and leads to greater accomplishment within an organization. So this morning, I, I thought about entitling my message, Do Your Job, but I didn't. And, and I, I didn't because our church isn't a football team, and nor are we all about winning. And, and furthermore, there's a big attitude difference between a football team and the members of a church, but we are about being in the game, and we are about using our gifts and we are about seeing the church strengthened and properly function well. And so the title of my message this morning is this, Use Your Gifts. 
And I think there's a ton of parallels between do your job and use your gifts. Use your gifts is a biblical expression of, of uh, Romans 12. It's a biblical expression of what it is that we all should be doing. The big idea is this. It's that God has div- gifted us all differently. But our responsibility is not so much to be looking at them and what everybody else is not doing. But our responsibility is to look to ourselves and see how we can use our gifts to help and serve the body. That's the message of Romans 12, is to use your gifts. So if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans 12. It's on page 948 in your pew Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, we really encourage you to open a paper Bible, watch, see what we're doing. If you want to do it on your phone, that's okay. Um, I just partial the paper, paper Bibles. I think they're good. But I want to begin reading one. I want to comment heavily on the first three verses because these verses really set the tone and set the flavor for verses four through eight. And just with time-wise today, I think we'll just probably get through half of this text and we'll get through the other half uh, next week. It'll be, it'll be fine. But Romans 12, one begins like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In verse 1, we see the motivation or service, the mercies of God. God's work to save us from our sin through Jesus Christ was an utter act of mercy. We deserve to die, find forgiveness in Jesus only by God's grace, only by His mercy. It's the message of Romans 1 through 11. It's the message of mercy. It's the, the salvation message. That even when we were sinners, while we were enemies and hatred towards God, that's when God showed his love towards us and died for us upon the cross of Christ, becoming our propitiation. That is, becoming the sacrifice that removes God's wrath from us because Jesus took it upon himself. And if you miss this point of Romans 12, 1, and the mercy of God to all who believe in Jesus, you will miss my message. You'll miss the application of my message because if you miss this, the application will be simply morality rather than gospel obedience there's a big difference between hey just do your job or use the gifts that god has given you there's a big difference in that and it's all about romans chapter 12 and verse 1 romans 12 is all about response response to god's mercy and god's mercy is the motivation for a service verse 2 god <clears throat> here we see the power for service it's the renewed mind do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the power behind the service. See, service in the church isn't merely accomplished by some external exertion of the will. It's, it's where the church deviates from a football team. It's not all about producing results. That all can be done in the flesh. You can have a bigger church in the flesh. You can have a lot more activity in the flesh. But, but true worship to God is about conforming our minds that God transformed us. That our, our work and our labor might be from faith. And our service comes from minds that are looking above and being transformed by that. When our minds are fixed upon the Lord, listen, our energy to serve him will be full. And verse 3 then. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. Here we see the attitude of service. We serve with humility, not thinking ourselves to be great, 
but willing to bend and to serve others. And this is where all service comes from. This is where all usage of our gifts come about, from serving others in humility. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This text really breaks down nicely in half. The the first half is an illustration, and the second half is an application. And and the hinge right in the middle that puts it all together is verse 6, let us use them. Now, these words aren't really in the original text, but they are supplied for us is the implication that, that we have all these different gifts and let's use them in this way. So let's let's look at the illustration. It's a familiar illustration from the human body. Paul writes in verse four. For us in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. You look at your own body, your own physical body, and you can quickly determine that you have a bunch of different parts. We call them organs, collections of tissues joined in a structural unit to serve a common function. We have hands and fingers. I mean, just take out your hand and look at it. I was just, I was just doing this this week. It just, uh, it's amazing what we have here, how the body, you, you can, you, extremely dexterous, you can pick things up. You can move things, turn pages. We have legs and feet to take us where we want to go. We have eyes and ears and noses and mouths. That's to say nothing of what's inside of you, your heart and your lungs. You have a stomach, you have some kidneys, you have a a brain and miles of blood vessels. And each of these organs have separate parts. I mean, each of your fingers has skin, has tendons, has joints, has nails. Your eyes have lashes and lenses and pupils and nerves. The human body is incredibly complex. Every single organ, though, performs its function. And every organ has its different functions. The mouth chews the food, the stomach digests the food, and your intestines eliminate the waste. Your feet take you where you need to go. Your hands allow you to manipulate the world. Your ears give you the ability to, to hear. Your eyes give you the ability to see the world around you. And your brain gives you the ability to process it all. And all these organs work together so we can live and thrive in this life. I think we understand that. That's exactly what verse 4 is talking about. And when it comes to the church, the parallel there is exact. We are like a body that all works together so that we can all thrive. The, the different functions within your body of the different organs all work together so that we can thrive. And what Paul says here in verse 5 is what he's talking about. So we, that so is the example, right? There's the body in verse 4, and so is the church. We, though many, are one body of Christ and individually members of one another. Paul's comparing here the church to a body with many members and yet having a unity. Though many, we are one body in Christ. That's not to deny individuality at all. 
But that's not to negate our connection to one another. In fact, that's what Paul says to us here in chapter 12, and verse 5. He says, we are individually members of one another. You know, oftentimes when we think about the body of Christ, we think of uh, maybe Ephesians 5, where Jesus is the head and we are the body. And we can think about this body illustration as us just relating to Jesus. But that's not what Paul does here. He, he relates us to one another. He says that we are members of one another. We are different parts of this whole, it's not the emphasis isn't vertically with us and Jesus being the head. The emphasis upon us being horizontal. We are members of one another. That means that each of us are like body members. That means Tim, you're a member of the body, and Jody, you're a member of the body, and Chad, you're a member of the body. It means that we're all part. We all have a body member. We are like a body member. Now. I think it's inappropriate if you try to take that and try to compare yourselves. Well, so, so, okay, so I'm a body man. What am I? I, I think I'm an eye because I can really see things. I see things going on at church. Or I think I'm an ear because I really hear what's going on at church. I'm like hands because I really do things at church. Uh, that's, not, that's not the illustration, okay? It's not that the body of Christ is like a human body. That we need to determine what sort of body part we are. Rather, the emphasis here is upon we are, are many parts, but one body, and like a body, they all function together. Yes, they have different functions, but they all work together. Now, Paul didn't use this, but he could equally have, have, have made this of a car. We are like a car. Some are like a steering wheel. Some are like a brake. Some are like wheels. And the point is that all of these all work together to allow the car to transport, or like a factory. We just all have different parts that all are working together in one whole. That's the idea here of verse 6, first part. We're having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. The picture here is that God, by his grace, has given us gifts. That is, he's given us talents and abilities and skills and capacities, and each of us are unique. Paul says they differ, having gifts that differ. Like Darren you're gifted differently than Tina, right? You differ differently than Heidi. Just like a body, like an eye can do things a hand can't do, and a foot can do a thing that an ear can't do, but it doesn't mean they're part of the body. I mean, there, there are things, Michael, that you can do that your dad John can't do, that Paul can do, that Connie can't do. We're just all different. We all can do different things. It just confirms that we're all part of the body, that we're all different. We're not all clones. We're not all the same. Paul made this point really clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. It's very memorable. It's very picturesque. It's exactly what Paul had in his mind when he's writing this. He says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, Paul writes, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If we're all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, 
yet one body. And the eye cannot say the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may all have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're different with differing gifts, but that doesn't mean we're not any less part of the body. And then the exhortation comes. Leading up to that, the exhortation comes in the middle of verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. As I have said, use your gifts. Paul says, use them. The talents and the abilities, the resources, the time that you have should be employed in the service of the Lord. And if you fail... It's just like a member of the body failing. Now, there are times when a failing body uh, member can be catastrophic. If your heart stops beating, it could mean death. Other times, it's just plain difficult. If your eye stops working and you can't see, you need to go through life blind. Difficult. You can imagine the difficulties, but you you continue on. And other times, there are nuisances, right? If If your finger stops working, or you paralyze some part, or say a finger or leg is amputated, then you can get along. It's just more of a nuisance. There are other times it simply can be an inconvenience. If you break your arm, you just need to live with the inconvenience of having a cast for a couple of weeks. If you sprain your ankle, you're going to walk for a limp with a wimp, limp for a couple of weeks. But likewise in the church, right? there, there are different things. When, when a member fails his or her role... To use their gifts, the whole body can suffer. Now, sometimes that can be catastrophic. A pastor falling to immorality can destroy a church. People fall from the faith, it's difficult for the church. When people refuse to use their gifts, it can make it harder upon all, right? Because they're they're not functioning, so other people have got to pick it up, and we limp around for a while, or we focus inward, try to heal our wounds for a while. But when members of the church are all working together, the body is healthy, and the church flourishes. And so the exhortation comes to all, use your gifts. So picture with me, picture me like Bill Belichick, okay? I'm on my knees, your defense is, I'm just saying, use your gifts. Use your gifts. Don't worry about all the other stuff going on, just use your gifts. That's the exhortation, that's the title of my message this morning. And so what's the obvious question? Are you using your gifts? Well, what are the gifts, right? We'll, we'll talk more about that next week, okay? But, but the big is, are you using your gifts? Are you using them? I mean, there, there are plenty of people who make church attendance their thing. Uh, I'm especially struck by this. Uh, there have been some times when um, our, our family has gone on vacation. And, and when we're in California, I think it's good to expose my children to the Catholic Church. And... Um, it's amazing how you kind of go in there and people are all just doing their, their thing at church, just all, all vertically praying, doing all this stuff. And the only time we ever get greeted, we've gone to whatever, the two or three times we've ever gone to a Catholic church to expose them to that, is uh, 
They go around, they say, peace be with you, and they shake hands once, and then, then they leave. They're really struck by how little body life happens at whatever. Many churches are just vertical, but Paul's placing us here horizontal. There's many people that come, sing, pray, listen, learn a few things, and then they go. And how often that is, even about, you know, even this whole ideal about people saying, oh, I got to go to church. I just kind of know periodically some whatever events on Sunday. Oh, yeah, well, our church has a Saturday night service, so I can just go to church on Saturday night. As if I just go and I can sit there and I can sing my songs and then I'm good. Totally misses using your gifts. Unless, of course, their gift is the gift of pew sitting. And then, of course, they're using their gift. But see, the gifts that you have are for us. God has given you a gift to share the church. So picture with me a boy whose birthday is, uh, whatever, tomorrow, whatever, during the school year, okay? So the way it worked when I was going to public school and probably works, works today, homeschool is a little more difficult when you do that, but, but if you go to school, it's going to be your birthday. What happens? The night before, mom cooks cupcakes for everybody. And then the morning of, she decorates them and puts some sprinkles on them. And then it's my birthday, and I get to come and share cupcakes with my whole class. And they sing happy birthday to me and stuff, and we, we have our, our, our cupcakes. But imagine this little boy <clears throat> arriving at school with all the cupcakes that his mom has made for him and given to him so that he can take and share them with his whole, his whole class. And imagine him coming... And not telling his classmates it's his birthday, not telling his teachers his birthday, and eating all the cupcakes back on the other side of the the school. (laughs) That's silly, right? But that's exactly what it's like if you don't use your gifts. God has given you gifts, and if you don't use them, you're just eating up all of your cupcakes. So I exhort you again, use your gifts. And it does raise a few questions about, well, what are the gifts? What are my gifts? I'm going to talk about that next week. But it's interesting what, what Paul focuses attention upon here is not so much even what the gifts are, though there is some focus here upon that, but the more the emphasis here is upon using your gifts. In fact, this is the application. The application here is using your gifts. Look at, look at verse 6. He says this. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. And the one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does act of mercy, with cheerfulness. He lists out seven gifts here. And his emphasis isn't upon what gifts they are. He doesn't even emphasize upon figure out what your gifts are. He just says, however you're using them, use them in this way. In fact, even I mentioned here about let us use them is not in the text. You can read this, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in our teaching, right? the idea is that it's been given to us, and we just take them and, and if we have prophecy, then use it. And if it's a teaching, then use it. Or if it's service, you use it. Or if it's giving, then you do it with generosity. If you lead, you do so with zeal. 
If you do acts of mercy, then you do so with, with cheerfulness. That's the emphasis here. And, and, and next week we'll talk about how the fact that, that all these, this isn't exhaustive. These aren't all the gifts that there are to the church. It's merely suggestive about the things, the, the gifts that we have in church. And we'll go through right, just the, the different lists that there are. And this is merely suggestive. And, and, and the thrust here is just that as you have gifts, you should use them. And so I ask you, are you using them? And, and I think that one of the ways to figure out what gifts you have is not by looking at yourself and not by taking some kind of test and focus on yourself, but rather it's just to start loving people and start serving people and start seeing what you're good at and start seeing where things fall naturally and have people affirm you in what you're doing and have people like see and be helped by those sorts of things. And when you are, those, those are your gifts that that you have and that you can use and that you can prosper on. And next week we'll spend some time just opening up all seven of these verse, all seven of these gifts. But for this this morning I simply say this, right? We'll just keep it keep it simple. Whatever gifts you have, use them. And I know you're all gifted differently. But it, but it comes about through people to people interaction. If you're not good people people, well just even praying can be a gift. You're really good at praying for people, having compassion for people. But it all starts, really, whatever, in five minutes when we're done. We go out in the hallway, we start talking with people, start figuring out what they're about, how we can help them, how we can serve them. And I just encourage you to start loving others, and your gifts will be evident. So use your gifts. Let's pray. Father, I would pray, Father, for us as as a church, that we would be about using our gifts, that we would all understand and see that we are a part of the body. And even today, if my message is hanging a bit, God, that's okay. God, because it causes us to, to say, well, what, what are my gifts? God, but I thank you even just sovereignly, God, just how you, you just give gifts. And many times people don't even see or realize or acknowledge the gifts that you've given but they merely serve, and those gifts are, are manifest. God, so I, I pray that for us, a, a church family, you would, God, create in us a desire and a heart to serve others, God, in the ways that you have have gifted us. God, the things that we know, the things that we do, even as simple as last Sunday, helping with someone's car, that's a way in which something is detected in serving others. Giving wisdom and counsel and the in many councils, many counselors, there is wisdom, just even in that way. Even just giving the encouraging word is a way that we can serve others and build others up. The way we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep are, are good ways that we can serve one another and help one another. And so, Father, I would pray even for our fellowship dinner that we're going to have, uh, just even after... Our service this morning, it's a great time for us to connect. It's a great time for us to see one another and know one another and get to see how it is that we can step into their lives and help them and serve them in some some type of way, whether it's saying things or whether it's doing things or making promises of in the future, helping, serving some way. Father, just would, would pray, even in the spirit of this text, however, however we've been gifted, God, I pray that humbly we would consider others more important than ourselves. That we would bend the knee, God, and bow to others and to help them. God, that you would create in Rock Valley Bible Church a a healthy place where we love and serve one another. I also pray for our 
our fellowship dinner, just our food. God bless that to our bodies. Really do a work here in this next hour, hour and a half as we spend our time together. God, create within us a, a community, a tight-knit community that is like, like a body that then can do, God, your mission um, of bringing Christ to the world. And we need your help in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.